Welcome to another episode of About Mansfield. I'm Steve Casillo, broadcasting from the Selmark Studios. Colleen Daniel is here, socially distancing from home, along with the About Mansfield news team. This is episode 67. We appreciate you being here today. Coming up on this episode, it's Mansfield news and weather for the upcoming week. And don't forget the trivia question of the week for a $25 gift card to Jake's Burgers and Beer. Let's take a look at the stories we're covering this week. This week, the COVID-19 epidemic in Mansfield is back on its decline and an update on the helicopter on Mars. Office supply stores offer to laminate your COVID-19 shot card for free. April is National Child Abuse Prevention Month and reporter Stacy Main continues her month-long series of special reports. I knew it would come down to this Sunday. I'm talking about strippers. I'm home improvement specialist Terry Radswin, and we'll get to that dirty business in the Ask Terry segment later in the show. If you're of a certain age, this week's Cocktail of the Week will have you singing, You Are My Fire, My One Desire. Believe me when I say, I want it that way. Tune in later in the show to find out what cocktail we're talking about. Alexa has our seven-day weather forecast, and Steve talks in studio with Mansfield musician Jay Horton. We are Mansfield's only source for news, talk, and information. This is about Mansfield. Paid political ad by the Von Wynn Jones campaign. Hello, I'm Von Wynn Jones. I came to the U.S. back in 1990 and have loved living here in Texas. And in 2018, I proudly became a U.S. citizen to better invest in my home. Serving in the State Guard and working as an EMT has taught me we face many challenges. And yet there are many ways we can work together to bring about positive change for everyone. So now I'm running for city council in beautiful Mansfield, Texas, my home for the last 18 years. I'm Vaughn Wynn Jones. Come join us at helpmansfieldthrive.org. That's helpmansfieldthrive.org. Hey Mansfield, did you know cannabis is legal in Texas? I'm Sonia Salazar, co-owner of Wise Wellness. As cannabis educators and advocates, we can answer any questions you have regarding hemp-derived CBD. Wise Wellness carries a variety of products, including oils, topicals, edibles, and pet products. We are located on FM 157 beside Mansfield Fun Jewelry. As a thank you to the About Mansfield podcast listeners, we are offering a buy one, get one free special on select products. Just mention the podcast at checkout. Follow us on social media for our latest updates. Search for Wise Wellness. That's Wise, W-Y-S-E, Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. See you soon. Hi, this is Paul Duncan with Trinity Roofing and Construction. There are over 7,500 roofers in the North Texas area. And when a major hailstorm blows through town, that number skyrockets with companies as far away as Montana. In the planning stages of re-roofing your home, it's normal for customers to ask questions such as, where are they based out of and how many years experience do they have roofing in North Texas? Trinity Roofing and Construction can answer each of these questions with confidence. As a family-owned, Mansfield-based business since 2011, Trinity Roofing and Construction recently received a Product Excellence Award by Owens Corning and are a Platinum Preferred Contractor with Owens Corning. Contact us today for a free, no-obligation video roof inspection. Rated A-plus with the Better Business Bureau, Trinity Roofing and Construction, a Mansfield company, not only replacing roofs, but building relationships. Find us on the web at trinityroofingconstruction.com. That's trinityroofingconstruction.com. Did you know that Southwestern Adventist University is located right in our backyard? With a small, safe campus, SWAU provides a Christ-centered learning environment with hands-on experiences and dedicated professors. For a limited time, local freshmen enrolling for fall 2021 will receive a stackable $3,000 scholarship. Plan to become a detective, lawyer, or a police officer? Earn a degree in criminal justice at Southwestern Adventist University. Go to swau.edu to learn more. Hi, this is Philip Washington Jr., and you're listening to About Mansfield. Welcome back to About Mansfield. This portion of the news is brought to you by Trinity Roofing and Construction. The COVID-19 epidemic is back to its decreasing spread in Mansfield. Roving science reporter Dennis Webb has the update. Dennis? On Monday, April 5th, Tarrant County reported that 7,131 Mansfieldians had caught the virus, 6,858 had recovered, and 133 had died from the virus since the 
start a year ago. We had 31 new cases this past week, the lowest weekly number since last June. Recall last week, we had the first week of an increase after two months of decline. The county estimates that we now have 275 active cases, a decline over the previous week. It appears that the previous week's sudden increase in these indicators probably did not reflect an emerging trend, a good thing for us. Mansfield ISD reports 31 active cases among students and two among staff. This is an increase in among the students over the previous week and a decrease among staff, but still well below the numbers we saw in December and January. Mansfield Methodist reports a small increase in COVID patients to 29, down from a peak of 152 in January. Seven of these 29 current cases are in the ICU, also up from the previous week, though down from the peak of 29 in January. Neither of the other two hospitals in Mansfield report any COVID patients. Tarrant County is now reporting percentage of the population that has received at least one immunization shot for each city in the county, including our own Mansfield. This past week, the county reported 26% of Mansfield citizens had received at least one immunization compared to 18% countywide. It's an interesting discrepancy, but I'm not sure what it means. We had two new COVID-19 deaths in Mansfield this past week, the lowest value since December, suggesting the deaths from the January spike are starting to finish. A blessing, but still sad for those two Mansfield families. Looking at the countywide numbers, all of Tarrant County's epidemic indicators continued to improve. Small decrease in weekly fatalities, though not yet a steady downward trend. Countywide hospitalization with the virus has continued its rapid decline, with last week's average value of 172 citizens in the hospital bed with the virus. This is the lowest hospitalization we have seen since last May. Tarrant County reports that 9% of all Tarrant County residents, that's everybody including kids who are not yet eligible, have received their first immunization shot. My wife and I are among this 9%, as are many friends who are tend to be older. This means that a higher percentage of older adults are fully vaccinated, a very good indicator. Our county judge, Glenn Whitley, encourages all citizens to register to get vaccinated. From the science desk at About Mansfield, I'm Dennis Webb. With COVID-19 vaccinations becoming more widespread, you may soon need to carry proof that you've been vaccinated to do something like travel or go to a concert. While some companies have been working on smartphone apps or other systems to create digital proof of vaccination, right now the paper CDC card is about all the proof you get. Office supply stores, such as Staples and Office Depot, want to help you keep your paper card in good condition. The two companies are offering free laminations of your completed COVID-19 vaccination card. The Staples offer is open-ended, while the Office Depot promotion is available through July 25th, and you must bring a copy of their online coupon, which is available on our links page at aboutmansfield.com. The CDC suggests that you take a picture of your vaccination card as a backup copy if you need the information. But laminated or not, remember that you should not post a photo of your vaccine card on social media. You can find our nearest staples right along the 287 service road, sandwiched between Target and the Home Depot. April is National Child Abuse Prevention Month, and reporter Stacy Main continues her month-long series of special reports. Today, she focuses on how to talk to your child about sexual abuse. Stacy, Child sexual abuse is an uncomfortable topic for parents to hear about and harder to bring up with their children. But the culture is changing and parents are talking to their children as a safety measure and it's working. Cases are going down because children now know how to protect themselves. Here's more with Katia Gonzalez, Director of Community Engagement with Alliance for Children and Katherine Esser, Assistant Director of Research and Training at the Women's Center. When it comes to child abuse, you know, one in four girls and one in six boys will be a victim of some form of child sexual abuse before they turn 18. And child sexual abuse is a form of trauma. You know, it can be visual, it can be verbal, it can be physical, which is what most people think of when they think of child sexual abuse. But any of those things can have a huge traumatic effect on people. Having conversations about private parts and how to talk to children about safety, teaching them kind of boundaries and what's okay and what's not okay just tends to be a really difficult topic for parents to discuss. And there's a lot of myths and misconceptions surrounding that. This isn't something where you're talking about sex. It's really talking about safety. It's important to start talking to kids about this as soon as you're talking to them really about 
you know, about other rules, like don't cross the street without looking both ways or without holding my hand, you know, don't touch the stove, it's hot. This is just something else that we have to talk to kids about because kids don't know what it is. And if they don't know that something's wrong, it makes them more vulnerable for perpetrators to groom them. So we really recommend that we start talking to kids about private parts and personal body safety really as soon as they're old enough to understand what their body parts are. So if they can understand, like, this is your head, this is your elbows, your knees, your toes, then you can really broach the topic of talking about private parts. We also want to make sure that it's easy for children to tell us. So if they're using treated terms that mean something else, like I couldn't tell you how many times we had situations where a child would come to school and would say that something happened and that teacher wouldn't be able to understand her because the terms that the family taught her meant other things. And helping kids know what constitutes abuse. And, you know, we don't even use those words until about fifth grade. In fact, when we're talking about child sexual abuse, we call it confusing touch. And we say it's as simple as whenever someone tries to look at, take a picture of, or touch your private part areas, and private parts are your parts of your body covered by a bathing suit. And we tell kids that no one has a right to look at, take a picture of, or touch your private parts without a good reason. And it's always okay to say no. So when we're telling children that you're in control of your body, you have the right to say no if somebody's hurting you, we really want to make sure that children are empowered enough that this is my body. I can't say no. Somebody's making me feel uncomfortable and it's not okay. I have the right to, to do something about that. So the reality is most of the time, the person that abuses a child is somebody that that child knows and trusts and somebody that that parent knows and trusts. Part of that is is practicing those kind of body autonomy. So if they clearly don't feel comfortable with Aunt Sally uh, or with a best friend that's like a parent's best friend, but that child that's not somebody that they want to hug or want to be close with. So if you can tell that they're uncomfortable, just being protective of your child and kind of practicing that autonomy with them and just saying, like, no, um, we can do a high five. And she doesn't, Sally doesn't feel comfortable hugging me right now, but maybe we can do a high five as kids get older and develop continuing to expand and develop those conversations. The first time they have new experiences, that first time you go to the doctor, here's what we can expect. And really recommend that rather than just having this, like, this is what's okay, what's not okay, don't let anybody do that. It's just really having very, again, concrete conversations. Like, if you go to a babysitter's house and you feel very uncomfortable, here are some things that we can we can do. So almost safety planning and those safety conversations with children, just like you would for a fire drill. Like, if there's a fire in the middle of the night, here's the steps to take. So we have to really try and teach what are some positive ways to have relationships, what does a healthy relationship even look like, and then try and translate that not into just dating, but also with friendships as well. So and we, we talk about the importance of setting boundaries and respecting boundaries, the importance of helping maintain some of your own privacy in, even on social, with social media, you know, not giving your passwords out. You know, if someone's trying to ask you for your passwords all the time, that's not healthy. And if we're not teaching kids about healthy relationships, then what they are getting is they're only learning from either at home or what their friends are telling them. And if they are at a home where it's, there's abuse going on or it's unhealthy, then they're not going to learn that healthy side at any point. So we have to be out there talking about it. You know, make this a conversation that you have on a fairly regular basis. You know, talk to kids at home, ask, you know, did you ever receive a confusing touch? And be able to ask kids, who would you ever tell if somebody did this to you? Or if this happened to a friend, who would you tell? Because if we keep if we don't talk about it as adults and as parents, then it's sending kind of an unspoken rule and signal to kids that that's not something we talk about. So really, we, sh we need to be able to believe children. So this is typically a person that will act like they're super nice to you and will just kind of ingratiate themselves into a family environment or to a youth organization if, um, if it's in a youth setting. That couldn't have happened, or you must have... You must have misunderstood what happened because this person is our Girl Scout leader or a Boy Scout leader or a leader in the church or a teacher. But that is what grooming is. It's it's getting people to not believe children when they do are able to finally speak out. 
And most organizations should be able to name off some things that they do. So, for example, we have cameras everywhere. We don't allow adults to be alone with children in a setting, like a, or in any setting. So that's always two adults or an adult with multiple children at all times. Uh, and then in a personal setting, I think if you're just dropping your child off at, a, at their friend's house, it's still, it might be awkward. And I know I've done this. So it's, I know it can be awkward and uncomfortable and people kind of look at you weird. But it's so important to ask those same questions, like who's going to be around my child? Um, are, like, is there any other people living in the home that I'm not aware of? Um, are you going to leave my child? Or are you going to leave and go to the grocery store and have another adult come in and supervise? So I think some of those, like, uh, like what are, do you have guns in the house? Like, even basic things like that are just important to ask. Grooming is really about trying to make children keep secrets about confusing touch. So, you know, it's kind of testing the waters, testing boundaries with kids. And then a lot of times perpetrators, when they're grooming, will blame children for things so that children feel like they can't say anything or they might get in trouble. Most of the time, somebody that abuses a child, especially sexually abuses a child, is not a stranger and typically doesn't exhibit those kind of uh, red flags, like they just look creepy or they have like a, a van with no windows. Like that's not a typical person that abuses a child. Most of the time, it's somebody that um, is close to you and is close to your child. Um, and part of that is like gaining the trust of a child, is gaining the trust of the kind of we call them gatekeepers, whoever is responsible for that. People who abuse children are also grooming the family and the community because they don't want their secret to be found out. You know, they want to make it so that if a child tells them this happened, adults are less likely to believe that child because this is such a great person. If that trusted adult that you try and tell about it doesn't believe you, then you keep telling until you find someone who does because this is never the child's fault if anyone tries to touch them in this confusing way. We just recommend that we ask very broad open-ended questions. Like if a child tells you something concerning and you're not sure if you're talking about an abusive act, just say, tell me more about that or what do you mean by that versus saying, like, did you mean he did this? So we just want to make sure we're being very open-ended. Research shows that the first step to overcoming trauma is to have someone in your life who believes you. We're connecting with children on a basic level, like if we're like making eye contact and paying attention to them when they tell us about like the boring details of their day or about their math test. That's what really kind of creates those relationships and makes it easy for children to tell us if somebody's making it feel unsafe. Teachers and school personnel are so important in recognizing and reporting some of these types of abuse. You know these children. You really do. You see them day in and day out. So if a child starts acting out of their norm, then check in with them. So if a child is usually really quiet and then all of a sudden they've become the class clown, check in with them. It might not be abuse, but there's something going on. There's something going on that shifts that personality. If a child is usually getting really good grades and then all of a sudden their grades start slipping, that is a change to check in with kids about. You know, if the kid is the class clown and all of a sudden they're really quiet and they don't want to be around others, check in with them. But some other things specifically related to sexual abuse would be if a kid maybe doesn't ever want to go to the bathroom, to check in with them and find out maybe why that is. Well, the more adversity that people face without receiving interventions, and without overcoming the first trauma, it is what we know is it starts to become what's called complex trauma. And the more complex the trauma is, the longer effects tend to last. And the bigger effects that we start to see on the brain, like your neuro neurology actually starts to change. Um, your sense of safety starts to be diminished. Um, your The toxic stress on your body increases and cortisol levels increase, dopamine levels decrease. Um, so yeah, the more issues that children are facing, the more complex it becomes. And since everybody's already facing COVID, that's one thing universal. And then you have to think these kids who are experiencing abuse during COVID or before pre-COVID, they're going to have even more issues until we can help them get the 
the interventions needed. There's all kinds of resources out there. You know, of course, I'll plug our Play It Safe program because people can rent our videos and watch them at home, and it comes with a resource guide for ways that they could talk to their children, um, and that is playitsafe.org. Um, but there are also webs, you know, there are also national sites people can go to. So the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has wonderful resources um, on online safety as well as sexual abuse. Let's see, Common Sense Media has wonderful resources for parents um, to talk about how to have digital contracts and how to safely navigate the website with your children, not not against them, but with them. It's not happening more. It's that people are finally feeling more comfortable and confident to speak out about this. And part of that comes from we as a culture have finally started to talk about it with our kids. And, you know, instead of us at the Women's Center and with Play It Safe going and talking to your kids one hour a year, you know, we are supplemental to what parents are saying to their kids. It is starting to be a normalized conversation where parents are saying and guardians are saying, this is what this is. No one has a right to do this to you. And so then when it does happen, kids are starting to finally feel safe enough to speak out. That was Katia Gonzalez, Director of Community Engagement with Alliance for Children, and Catherine Esser, Assistant Director of Research and Training at the Women's Center. I'm Stacey Main for About Mansfield. NASA is about to prove that perseverance really does pay off as the helicopter on Mars is getting ready for its first flight. Again, roving science reporter Dennis Webb has the story. A few weeks ago, I spoke about the little helicopter that rode to Mars with the rover Perseverance, who is informally called Percy. The helicopter is called Ingenuity and is getting ready to make its first aerial flight on Mars. Watch for it in the news the next week or two. There will be pictures. After Perseverance rover landed, it checked out all its systems and proved it could move around and do the other things it needed to do as expected. Percy and its controllers on Earth looked around for a suitable Mars airfield, moved there, and it was time to get ready to deploy or give birth to its little helicopter called Ingenuity. The last couple of weeks, robots controllers at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory have helped Percy the rover to unfold the little helicopter from its belly and leave it upright on the surface of Mars. Some writers have likened this process to Percy the robot rover giving birth to a robot helicopter on the surface of Mars. Here's what's happened so far. The initial step was to drop off a cover that protected the little helicopter from the hellish descent to the surface of Mars. Perseverance dropped its cover on the ground and moved away from it. The little helicopter was folded up in the belly of the Perseverance rover, and it takes several steps to set it out on the surface, each step described as irreversible, to unfold the legs and rotors, and eventually dropping the helicopter to the surface below the rover's belly. This is all complete, and Perseverance rover has moved away, allowing the Ingenuity helicopter to charge its battery using its own solar array. Ingenuity has successfully survived its first cold Martian night on its own, so it's ready to fly. Ingenuity, the little helicopter, is a modest technology demonstration project, piggybacking on the more mature science mission of the Perseverance rover. If Ingenuity proves durable in this strange place, JPL may continue to fly it as long as they are learning something new with each flight, as they did for the previous technology demonstration projects, like the very first Mars rover, Sojourner, which was was also a technology demonstration. If Ingenuity is successful, there will be pictures, future rovers might include more capable helicopters to perform longer, richer science missions. Science marches on. From the Science Desk at About Mansfield, I'm Dennis Webb. If it's good enough for the sophisticated Charlotte and Miranda, it's good enough to be called the cocktail of the week. Brian's pouring one up right now. Brian? Thanks, Colleen. In this week's Cocktail of the Week, we're going to be talking about the famous, yet I say infamous cocktail, the Cosmopolitan. Like most of the cocktails we've talked about, the exact origin of the Cosmopolitan is unknown, mostly because until the late 80s, it was a similar drink that went by a different name. In the 19th century, a cocktail known as the Daisy emerged as a delicious drink that was loved for its ability to modify harsher flavors of booze. 
The classic recipe called for a spirit, a sweetener, and a citrus, which is similar to the structure of the Cosmo. Now, this recipe is now known as the classic sour family recipe structure. Again, a spirit, a sweetener, and a citrus. But because vodka wasn't a spirit used much in cocktails like this back then, because it already had very little flavor to begin with, and the citrus used was not cranberry, because cranberry is not a citrus. That being said, it's possible that this proven drink structure is the foundation for what the Cosmo is based on. For a more direct connection, comes in 1968, when the folks at Ocean Spray were looking for an inventive way to market their cranberry juice to adults. While the drink was popular to serve to children, cranberry juice, the marketing execs were trying to find ways to expand their market share. So they printed a recipe on the side of the carton of every cranberry juice for a drink they called the Harpoon. The Harpoon called for an ounce of vodka, an ounce of cranberry, and a squeeze of lime. Close to the Cosmo, didn't have the sweetener in the Cointreau, though. The cocktail we commonly know as a Cosmo was probably concocted in the late 80s as a way to use the new category of flavored vodkas. But by the late 90s, the Cosmo was the drink of the decade, thanks to the Cosmo being the drink of choice on the HBO series Sex in the City. It was actually introduced in the second season if you want to be specific, in the second episode of the hit show. And nine years later, it was in the closing moments of the Sex in the City movie where you see the four women drinking Cosmos. And as they sip them, the slightly pink cocktail, Charlotte says, it's so delicious. And then Miranda said, why did we ever stop drinking these? And the ever-present Carrie replied, it's because everybody else started. Thus, the 10-year rise and somewhat, say, the fall of the Cosmo came to an end. But even today, the Cosmo is made countless times in bars every month. And the most common mistake made is this cocktail is putting too much cranberry in it. The right amount of cranberry is just drops or a splash for color is the right amount. But don't worry about taking notes as I'm giving out the ingredients and the instructions. They're always posted on bourbongospel.com. So the ingredients, we're going to need an ounce and a half of a citrus vodka. The original was probably made with absolute citron. Then you're going to use an ounce of Cointreau or Grand Manier or triple sec, a half ounce of lime juice, freshly squeezed if you please, and a dash or a couple of drops of cranberry juice. And then you're going to have a lime wedge as a garnish. So how do you put the cocktail together? You add the vodka, the Cointreau, the lime juice, and the couple of drops of cranberry juice to a cocktail shaker. Add ice and shake until well chilled. Strain into a chilled cocktail or martini glass and garnish with a lime wedge. As always, I'm open to hear your take and your input. You can reach me at bourbongospel at gmail.com. And until next week, as Mark Twain says, too much of anything is bad, but too much whiskey is barely enough. Reporting for the About Mansfield podcast, I'm Brian Certain. It's time right now for the Ask Terry segment. Terry Radswin is our resident home improvement specialist, and he answers your questions about the place that you call home. Terry? This week's question comes from Keith, who asks, Do I need to strip my deck before I restain it this spring? Thanks for the question, Keith. I like them short and sweet. And I'll give you the short and sweet answer. Yes. It doesn't matter whether you're staining with an oil-based or water-based product. You won't get a good finish over a dirty deck or fence or whatever you're staining. The stain won't penetrate evenly, and if the soil and grease and whatever else has been trod onto the deck is really ground into the pores of the wood, it won't penetrate at all, leaving you with a blotchy finish that won't protect the wood very well. Now let's talk about what we mean by stripping. If the deck has been stained before, you'll find it pretty difficult to remove the color and change it to something lighter than it was before because, as I said, the stain penetrates into the wood and can go pretty deeply below the surface. There are a few different wood bleach products on the market, which are essentially acids, that eat at the surface of the wood and remove some, but not all, of the pigment. They're not like a chlorine-based bleach that removes the color from fabric. 
and because the original stain has penetrated into the pores of the wood, there will always be some pigment left in the pores no matter how well you clean the deck. It's infinitely easier to stain dark over light or to try to maintain the same color. So in reality, it's pretty tough to truly strip a deck. Preparation for restaining usually just means a thorough cleaning. The effectiveness of preparing the surface for new stain definitely depends on the stain that was previously used and the stain that you'll be applying. A deck that's been stained with a waterborne product is easier to prep because an oil-based stain leaves that oil, what paint manufacturers call the vehicle that deposits the pigment, in the pores of the wood and it doesn't flash off while drying the way that the chemicals that are added to water-based stains do. That's why oil stains protect better. They help keep the wood from drying out, since once a tree is cut, it loses the natural moisture within that prevents the wood from getting brittle. A deck that's been stained with water-based product can usually be cleaned, allowed to dry, and then restained. Oil-based finishes usually require a little more to prep them for new stain. It's tempting to just hit the deck with a pressure washer and call it a day, but that's not the way I'd do it. Blasting soft wood like pine with water coming out of a nozzle at 2,500 to 4,500 PSI of pressure is pretty abusive. Sure, it'll get the crud off, but it'll also severely raise the grain and make the surface rough and fuzzy. You'll stain that fuzz and eventually it'll wear off with foot traffic, breaking the fuzz off at the stem and removing the protection and color from the new stain. The only way to prevent that from happening is to go all Daniel Russo on the deck and sand it before staining. If you're looking to reach inside and find your inner karate kid, go for it, but it's usually sufficient to just bypass the sanding and give the deck a good cleaning the old-fashioned way with a nice stiff bristle brush. I like to use a good degreasing detergent like Simple Green and mix it with household bleach into a bucket of water. The bleach will help get rid of any mildew that's on the surface. You'll have to tinker with the formula depending on how soiled the deck is, but I usually start off with about 8 ounces each of bleach and detergent into about 3 gallons of water. Get what's actually called a deck brush, which is a stiff nylon or natural bristle brush that you can screw a broom handle into so you're not down on your hands and knees scrubbing and making your back ache. You'll just make your arms ache, and that's called exercise, and it's good for you. Apply the solution with the brush, let it sit for a couple of minutes to attack the soil, and then scrub like you're an Olympic curler. There might be a few spots, like maybe under the barbecue grill where cooking grease may have splashed onto the deck, or underneath steel patio furniture and stuff that might have left a rust stain, where you'll have to use a more concentrated version of the cleaning solution or some vinegar to get the surface clean. Once you're done scrubbing, rinse thoroughly. If the rinse water beads on the surface rather than penetrates into the wood, you're not done cleaning. Hit it again with the soap and bleach solution and scrub. Rinse again and hopefully that'll do it. If not, you may have a finish on the deck that has left a chemical deposit of something like silicone, which is often used in water-based stains to seal the wood, on the deck. In that case, you may have to let the surface dry for a couple of days and go over it with a solvent like mineral spirits or lacquer thinner to remove the coating. Once you've done that, spray the deck with rinse water to check that the surface is ready to absorb stain. Give it a couple of days to dry thoroughly, then apply your stain, which will hopefully give you years of enjoyment before you have to go through the process again. Thanks again for the question, Keith. And remember, my segment depends on you for its lifeblood. I need questions. Send your home improvement or repair issues my way via the podcast email or click on my Facebook page at Ask Terry AM Podcast or my Twitter at Ask Terry AM Pod. Let's talk again soon. Reporting for About Mansfield, I'm home improvement specialist. Terry Radswin. Just a quick programming note, you can now listen to our city council and school board candidate interviews on the About Mansfield webpage at aboutmansfield.com. You'll find a link at the top of the homepage. This is your opportunity to get to know the candidates in 20-minute increments before you vote. Early voting starts on April 19th, and Election Day is Saturday, May 1st. Sunday is National 8-Track Tape Day. Should you feel the urge to travel back to the 70s and take your 8-Track collection to Rose Park, weather-wise, let's see if Mother Nature is going to cooperate. Wednesday and Thursday, we have some pretty nice weather. It's going to be partly cloudy or mostly sunny, depending on your outlook. Highs ranging from 81 to 85 on Thursday. We will have some isolated thunderstorms on Friday with a high of 87. Saturday and Sunday, mostly sunny sunny, 81 and 86 degrees. There's your Sunday where you can take your 8-track tapes to Rose Park. 
Some more isolated thunderstorms on Monday with a high of 75 and partly cloudy on Tuesday with a high of 75. According to the Tarrant Regional Water District, most Mansfield lawns need a quarter inch of watering this week. If you're running your system for the first time, be sure all sprinkler heads are working properly and not wasting water. Weather will be warm and sunny with a slight chance of rain later in the week. You can always view a map of watering recommendations for North Texas at waterisawesome.com. Congratulations to Matt Smith, who was the first person to email the correct answer to last week's trivia question. What song was Ella Mae Morse most noted for singing? Mansfield history fans may recall that Ella Mae Morse is most known locally for singing Cow Cow Boogie in 1942, which became Capitol Records' first gold single. Her biggest hit was The Blacksmith Blues, released in 1952, which peaked at number three on the U.S. music charts. Matt has won a $25 gift card to Big D Barbecue. Once again, a reminder that you can listen to our city council and school board candidate interviews on the About Mansfield website at aboutmansfield.com. On the website, there is a link at the top of the homepage that will take you right to those recordings. This is your opportunity to get to know the candidates in 20-minute increments before you vote. Early voting starts on April 19th, and Election Day is Saturday, May 1st. Colleen. Take us to break. This portion of the news was brought to you by Ohana Screen Printing. Coming up after the break, this week's trivia question of the week. I'm Colleen Daniel, and this is About Mansfield. Your logo or emblem defines who you are, so why not show it off with custom printed shirts? I'm Dana Wood with Ohana Screen Printing. We are a custom screen printing company and can print your design or help you create a new design. While t-shirts are our specialty, we can print on all kinds of apparel such as masks, hoodies, bags, you name it. Ohana means family and that's exactly why we started Ohana Screen Printing, to bring our family and community together through creative expression. We look forward to adding you to our family. Rest assured that when you do business with Ohana Screen Printing, that your dollars stay local, as we are a family-owned business based right here in Mansfield. If you're part of a business, organization, or sports team looking to make a visual presence, hit us up on Facebook or ohanascreenprinting.com. That's ohanascreenprinting.com. Hey, it's Steve Casillo. I want to take a second to tell you about Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. It's where we record and produce our weekly About Mansfield episodes. Podcast Mansfield is a full-service studio with recording, editing, mixing, and mastering capabilities, and can even help market your podcast. Podcast Mansfield is home to such great local shows, such as Ask Philip, The Face-Off Spot, and Daughter of the Other Woman, just to name a few, and handles post-production duties for remote clients, such as Coaching Through Chaos out of San Diego and Military Resource Radio from Detroit. So whether you're a hands-on person who just needs a place to record your podcast or need the help from concept to completion... Podcast Mansfield is there to help. Conveniently located on Heritage Parkway, just off of 287 in Mansfield. For more information on starting your podcast, or if you're looking for a better place to record, Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio can be found on the internet at podcastmansfield.com. That's podcastmansfield.com. Paid political ad by the Von Wynn Jones Campaign. Hello, my name is Vaughan Wynne-Jones. I came to the US from the UK back in 1990. I've lived, worked and watched as things have changed here over the last 30 years. In the past few years, I started to hear the words, if you don't like it, go home, directed at myself and others. So I became a US citizen to better invest in what I feel is my home. Serving in the State Guard and working as an EMT taught me we face many challenges as a people. And yet there are many ways we can work together to bring about positive changes and usher in a new age of opportunity for everyone. So now I'm running for City Council Place 4 in beautiful Mansfield, Texas, my home for the last 18 years. There's a lot of great things about this city, and yet there's still a lot more we can do to serve each other during these challenging times. So please, let's help each other make our community stronger. Come join us at helpmansfieldthrive.org. That's helpmansfieldthrive.org. Thank you for listening. I'm Vaughan Wynne-Jones, and I'm not a cat. 
It's time right now for the highly coveted, wildly popular trivia question of the week. This month, we reach deep into the prize closet and dust off a small stack of unclaimed gift cards. The first person to email the correct answer to trivia at aboutmansfield.com will receive a $25 gift card to Jake's Burgers and Beers, a true Texas tradition of burgers and beers since 1985. They are located on Broad Street next door to Newsom Stadium. You can find them on the internet at jakesburgersandbeer.com. Let's get to this week's question, Colleen. Well, Steve, as you may know, part of the city of Mansfield dips into Johnson and Ellis counties. Ellis County was founded in 1849. This week's trivia question is, who is Ellis County named after? Email your answer to trivia at aboutmansfield.com. Again, who is Ellis County named after? Good luck, and thanks to Brad and Kendra at Jake's for the gift card. Coming up after the break, Steve talks in studio with Mansfield musician Jay Horton. Stay with us. I'm Colleen Daniel, and this is About Mansfield. Hey, business owners. Have you thought about growing your business through social media but don't know where to start? Never fear. I'm Sonia Salazar, and Wise Media Group is here offering coaching for do-it-yourself social media marketing, or we can do it for you. We have packages for every budget. Wise Media Group specializes in organic Facebook and Instagram growth. Let's get Mansfield businesses connected in 2021. Give us a call for a free 30-minute consultation at 817-913-2989. That's 817-913-2989. Or find us on social media at Wise Media Group. That's Wise, W-Y-S-E, Media Group on Facebook and Instagram. Wise Media Group, helping you make wise social media marketing decisions in 2021. Welcome back to another segment of About Mansfield. I'm Steve Casillo as we make the transition from news to talk. And here in the studio today, you know, most people who listen to this podcast and know a little bit about me know that I'm a musician around town and that I do like to have from time to time musicians here in the studio to talk about uh, what they've been doing. And in the studio today, he is a business owner in addition to being a musician. And we're going to get into all of this. He owns a business on Main Street. It is music mentors. Jay Horton, welcome to About Mansfield. Well, thank you for having me. First of all, I got I to ask you about your name because I know a lot of J's, but I don't know a lot of J's of J-E-H. What's the origin of your first name? As far as I know, I'm one of two. The other one is Jay Johnson, who is um, was uh, secretary for national security in the Obama administration. Okay. And he's named after a Liberian chieftain that saved his grandfather's life. Mine is not nearly as interesting. <laughs> Mine is my name is actually James Edward Horton. So my dad decided to call me Jay and spell it with my initials. That's a, that's a story in itself. I think that's pretty cool. It does make it easy to find me on Spotify. James Edward, Edward Horton. Horton. Yep. Where are you from? Are you native Texan? Um, I was born in South Carolina, but I grew up in North Florida in a little town called Chiefland, um, which had three red lights. They have five now. It's a thriving metropolis. <laughs> um, I go home for three or four times a year and help my mom. Um, we moved here in 2002. And I went to work in the corporate world, and when that ended, when I started teaching lessons. Let's go back to Chiefland, though. Okay. Where nearest major city? It's about thirty-five miles west of Gainesville. Jacksonville and Tallahassee are kind of on the same meridian. You go down, you go south about forty miles, and you have Gainesville. All right, which is where the University of Florida is. The the Fighting Gators. The Gators. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Were you a good student? I made good grades. I wasn't necessarily a good student. <laughs> uh, you made good grades. I I find that that musicians or those who later in life become musicians are they do okay in school. Uh, yeah. there, there may have been a little ditching every now and then, or a, a rule bending, but that wasn't you. No, I mean I showed up for class and everything I was supposed to. Do. I'm, I'm the the classic procrastinator. Okay. If there was a 10-page project due, I'm doing it on Tuesday. I'm doing it Monday night at 10 o'clock. Um, and that, I, I still carry some of those behaviors into my adult life. And music's really all I ever wanted to do. I just ended up doing the corporate thing to to feed my family. So even when you were in, in 
high school or even before high school, you wanted to be a musician. Oh, yeah. My parents both have degrees in music education. Oh, wow. So my dad was the band director at the local high school for a while. My mother was the music teacher at the elementary school. And um, I played trombone through high school, just like your son. Mm -hmm. Um, And then got in a band when I was allegedly going to college and, (laughs) and, and started playing bass in a professional band and kind of just went on from there. Let's talk about allegedly going to college. There's a story right there that somehow, what, you told your parents you were going off to college and you went on tour? Or? Well, my my goal was to get out of Chiefland. Yeah. And um, I had a reasonably decent SAT score and a reasonably, a pretty good GPA. So I went to Florida my senior year of high school. Um, not Not mature enough to be in college by any means. And two weeks over there, I get a call from a guy that I grew up with, and he goes, hey, man, we need a bass player for this band. And they were in Gainesville rehearsing. So I started playing in the band and kind of never went, slowly stopped going to class Mm. and ended up on academic probation. But I was making, quote, unquote, a living playing music at that time. And I thought, well, who needs to do this this college thing? A year later, I was pushing a lawnmower for a living, so it wasn't the best plan. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get an I told you so from your, your, oh, your parents? Oh, yeah. I'm not still, up, until I'm this, up until we moved here, I probably was getting I told you so on a regular basis. Did you go back to college? I, I've, I've gone back sporadically. I never finished. Yeah. I never finished. You and me both. You mentioned a corporate career. What, uh, what, did, what, what did that lead to? Um, when we moved here, I had been working for the county in Florida overseeing custodial contractors. So I moved here and went right to work for a custodial contractor as an area manager. And then I picked, uh, back. this was back in the newspaper days, of course, 2002. I saw an ad in the paper for a nuclear plant company was going to be contracting the cleaning for the um, Comanche Peak nuclear plant down in Glenrose. Okay. So I took that that position and um, did that for a year and a half. Then they lost the contract. And they and I've, I've always played music professionally, even no matter what job I had. I've always had weekend gigs and mm-hmm. taught a few lessons. And when... Um, when I, when they when they lost the contract here, they wanted me to go to Pennsylvania or Chicago, and I was already freezing during the winter here, so <laughs> I declined. Started teaching a few lessons out of my home, and at, when I hit eighty students, I thought, well, maybe I should open a studio and not be turning away students. And so that's how we opened Mansfield Music Mentors, and that has grown to several hundred students a week. Nice. Um, there, at one point, we had 11 teachers. We're down a little bit because of the COVID issues. Yeah. But it, we've been there. This this April will be 15 years. We'll, we'll talk about Music Mentors here <laughs> a little more in detail in just a second. I'm, I'm kind of curious of, uh, so how did you how did you get out of Chiefland? What brought you to Texas and specifically Mansfield? Well, this is going to, this may um, send the guys in the white coats out, but um, <laughs> I had been, been doing some praying and fasting and we felt like God told us to come to Texas. Yeah. And I had some friends who moved here. I helped them drive the moving truck out. And then my wife and I and my daughter visited, and we just we went back, turned on our notice, and moved out. I, I didn't I didn't even have a job when we moved here. We moved in on a Saturday night, and that Thursday I started at at the first cleaning company I worked for here. So it was it was faith, faith. I was <laughs> going to say it was a voice in your head, but it yeah. was it was faith. That and brought my, you. Some people might consider it a voice in my <laughs> head. All right, let's talk about your music career. You said that you've always been a musician going all the way back into trombone. And and what how did you make the transition from trombone to bass to you're playing guitar now? And uh, um actually my first music experience my parents put me in piano lessons at 5, which I think everyone should do, especially if you want to come spend money for them at my studio. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> but um, I took piano lessons first and then I was on I was tr- I played trombone because my dad wanted me to play trombone because he was a trombonist. Okay. Um and I'm around, I'm around 13 or 14 well, actually, younger than that, actually, as a fifth grader, my mother taught baritone ukulele as part of the music program at, 
at the elementary school, and that's the same t- tuning as a guitar. It's not like a regular ukulele. It's tuned like a guitar. It's a four-string instrument. Mm-hmm. And then when I was about 13, my dad had a classical guitar because they had asked him to teach a guitar class at the high school. So I started, he showed me how to read the chord diagrams, and I taught myself some songs out of the Reader's Digest family songbook, um, leaving on a jet plane, I think it was the first one, and Country Roads was the second one, and started learning some songs from church and that sort of thing. And I bought the bass because the guy that called me when I moved to Gainesville, um, Doug Barlow was his name, he was a much better guitar player than I was, so we needed a bass player. <laughs> so, and that story sounds familiar. That that I I also taught myself to play guitar and learned from charts, from fingering mm-hmm. charts. And uh, the Beatles songbook was the first thing that I was I I picked up. Oh, these can't be very difficult. Only uh, to find out. Oh no, yeah, the Beatles stuff's not simple. <laughs> Wait a second. This I thought this was all three chord stuff. And not the Beatles. No, it, it turned out to be pretty. Uh, some of it turned out to be pretty complex. Yeah, you'd have been but, better off to get like the Waylon Jennings songbook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> someone asked him one uh, allegedly. I don't. Uh, this is one of those anecdotal stories you hear. Someone allegedly asked Waylon why he only used three chords in his songs, and he said, "I didn't know there were but three chords." <laughs> <laughs> G C and D. Yep. The people's key. Yep. You can make a million dollars off G C and D. There you if go. You pl- if you play them right. Approximately. From from your first band there in Gainesville, how many bands have you been in? Oh, my word. I don't know, 30 or 40 at least. Wow. Any of them big touring and not, not necessarily household names, but touring bands? Have, um, you, you, have you seen the United States? No, we did a little limited Southeast touring in, in, in the first band I was in, but it was very little. Um, we played mostly in, in Gainesville and around Florida. Okay. Um, um, the probably the most successful band I've been in monetarily is the the base the band I'm in now with um, several other guys from this area called Fastlane, and that's an Eagles tribute. Um, people love the Eagles music, so we 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 probably make more per gig in that band than any band I've ever been in. And we've done we've gone as far as Amarillo and um, and Abilene in that band. <laughs> Any crazy road stories? Uh, no, I, I, mashing up hotel rooms. I got married at twenty-two, and I just kind of missed all that. There um, you go. You know that wasn't going to happen when I got married. That was the end of that plan. You do play around Mansfield quite a bit, and and the area, the region. Uh, name some of the projects that you're. Uh, the Jay Horton band, including gotcha. Well, of course there's fast lane, the Eagles tribute. Um, I do a duo with a guy named James Dumain called the James brothers, where we do guitar and keyboards. He programs the keyboards. I play in a duo, acoustic duo, um, called crew of two with a girl named Amber Tan- Franzen, Amber Franzen out of, um, she lives up in the North Richmond Hills area. She and I, um, actually that developed as part of COVID. That's an interesting story, but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, the Jay Horton band plays pretty rarely. It's usually a four or five piece thing. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a lot of gigs since COVID started with that group. Um, I'm doing quite a few solo shows, um, playing probably once a month at um, El Primo's as a solo act. Mm-hmm. And then I play in a I play keyboard and guitar, in a, kind of a sideman role in a band called Wind Up Monkeys, which are also based in Mansfield. So you've got several projects going on, and I think that's great that you hear about you know the musicians they they join a band and that's the only thing they do is just that one band and and but you're a well-rounded musician of having several projects and that i would assume with the exception of during the covid <laughs> era <laughs> where there were no gigs um you probably kept yourself busy with different projects th- uh, throughout the week and that's why why um I'm in so many projects because a lot of people in my age group and um, that that are playing music are only doing it part time, mm-hmm. and I want to gig more than the average bear wants to gig. So I tend to play w- with different projects so that I can stay busy. Which is your favorite band? Oh, Fastlane. Fastlane. Yeah. And your guitar? I play bass in Fastlane. Oh, you play bass. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm the bass player and primary singer. Um, I sing about. 65% of the songs, and then I sing harmony on anything I'm not singing lead on. 
But yeah, that that is just be, just because the audience response is so much fun with Fastlane, and when you're doing Eagle stuff, the crowd goes crazy every song. You know, you you know this as well as I do. A lot of these, especially solo duo type gigs, yeah. You know, it's crickets. You finish the song and there's no, everybody's talking to their friend at the bar. They're not really paying it's your music, background music. Music to be ignored by. Yes. <laughs> and well, you, you kind of get used to that after a while. And so, you know, it's part of the gig. Right. And Fastlane it, is the opposite. Every song, it's, you know, yay. Yeah. They're there to see you as opposed to uh, eating your your taco plate combination <laughs> right. with, with a margarita. So you own Music Mentors downtown, Mm -hmm. and it's on Main Street. So for those of you who have been to the Mansfield Historical Museum or uh, Flying Squirrel Coffee, you are sandwiched right in between the two of those. Exactly, yeah. And if someone wanted to, uh, uh, well, first of all, let's talk about what your your studio provides in the way of of uh, music lessons. I would assume piano is in there. Oh, yeah. Guitar. What, we what, provide almost anything. We don't have an accordion or harmonica teacher. But other than that, <laughs> we, we can teach almost anything else, um, at least on a beginning level. I don't have an, an expert mandolin or banjo teacher, although we two of us can both play both instruments and we can get you started. We have a string teacher who's in her master's program. We have a, uh, our drum instructor who's gotten her master's in percussion. Uh, we teach, I mean, if, if, if it's out there, we teach it. I have a retired music teacher from Fort Worth ISD that teaches horns and, and strings as well. Hmm. So we, we're, the main thing you get from us is no pressure. We don't, we, if you want to do piano competitions, we're glad to put you in them and, and walk you through that process, but we don't force that on people. We don't force people to do recitals unless they want to do recitals, which is actually a good thing because with the number of students we have, I don't know where we would do a recital if everybody performed at the no, recital. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a low pressure environment. You can learn at your own pace. And my philosophy personally is I'm going to go the pace that the student wants to go. You know, if, if you're going to practice an hour a day, then I'm going to throw stuff at you every week. I'm going to keep you moving. If you practice 10, 10 minutes once a week, then I'll practice with you for that half hour and get you to another level each week. Right. So it's, it's really, it's the, what we really do is A, it's no pressure, and B, we're more of a rock school than a classical school. Although we can teach, I teach classical guitar as well as regular guitar. Um, we teach, you know, strings obviously are classical, and our piano program is based in classical, but we also do chord chart teaching and that sort of thing. Okay. Has COVID affected your business and now that we're kind of hopefully seeing the back end of the pandemic are are you making a comeback oh yeah um actually the the biggest thing was when the when they mandated all non-essential businesses close we had no clue how to do electronic lessons at all we had never none of us had ever done a zoom meeting or any or google classroom or any of those sort of things so we scrambled around trying to keep as many students as we could by doing their lessons online. A lot lot of the teachers started just teaching from home. And we managed to hang on to about 75% of our existing student load. And now when they opened back up, we were slowly growing back to about where we were every week. You not only are a musician, you not only give uh, or provide music lessons uh, through your shop, you have at least an album. I know you've got that uh, that going for you. How many albums have you recorded? I've only done one for myself. I've, I've played on, uh, on other people's recordings a lot. Um it took me a lifetime to write 10 songs that were worth putting on an album. Yeah. Um, so I finally, a couple of years, I guess about three or four years ago, right before the last election, so it would have been 2016, I finished up recording about 10 decent songs and we got them mastered and released the album. And it's titled? The Resistance. Okay. And it was not based on the movement that came out when... Um, Trump was elected is actually based on a line from a song I wrote in the 90s. We Are the New Resistance is one of the lines from the song. Do you have a favorite song from the album? Probably, that you, that, a favorite song that you like to perform at every gig? Um, probably my favorite one to perform is a song called I Believe. Um, it's a song about a guy that's infatuated with a girl and, um, and she doesn't know it. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
You brought a guitar today. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, what would you like to grace us with? I think I'll probably do, I believe. I'll try to stay away from the more politically oriented songs on the album. <laughs> Great. Let's listen. This is Jay Horton on About Mansfield. This fantasy of you, could it all be true? Or is it just my dream? The fact that I deluded cannot be refuted, but I, I believe. Don't shatter my illusion, let me live in my confusion, spellbound to you. song is called I Believe. That's Jay Horton from the album Resistance. And Jay, we are back. And uh, to, to wrap things up again, if, if someone wanted to uh, get some more information about, let's, let's start with about booking Jay Horton or any of your number of bands. How do they get in touch with Jay Horton? Um, the easiest thing to do is to um, call my cell number, which is on the front door of my studio. So it's not a, it's a, the after hours number for our studio. So it's not a secret. It's 817-691-1324. Let's give that one again a little bit slower. Okay. 817 817- Six nine one one three two four. If someone was more, was interested in in music lessons, how do they get a hold of music mentors? Uh, that's eight one seven four five three four three seven seven eight one seven four five three four three seven seven. And is there a website that goes along with that? Yes, um, there's actually websites for both. There's the jhortonjhortonband.com. dot com. And then for the studio, MansfieldMusicMentors.com. And it's never too early to start taking lessons, is it? Oh, no. We, any child that's not reading yet, we encourage you to bring them in for a, um, 
what we call an assessment lesson and see if they can pay attention for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's never too late to start either. We've had students, the oldest student I've had was 81. And what was he learning? Bass. He bass. wanted to learn to play bass. Yep. It is time right now for what is called the lightning round. Okay. This is where the listener gets to know Jay Horton much, much more than the past 20 minutes. Okay. It's a very simple game of this this or that. Okay. And uh, so when I say this or that, you uh, you just shout out whatever, uh, whatever comes to mind. Gotcha. All right. Night or day? Night. Basketball or baseball? Basketball. Acoustic or electric? Acoustic. Rock or blues? Rock. Rock or country? Rock. Teaching or playing? Playing. More money or more time? Time. Taj Mahal or Eiffel Tower? Eiffel Tower. Studio or stage? Stage. Thanksgiving or Christmas? Christmas. What's your favorite ice cream? Uh, chocolate. Chocolate. Just plain chocolate. Or the more the darker the better. So death by chocolate. You know, any, any the more chocolate in it, the better. Death by chocolate. Is that a Ben and Jerry's? Or? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I've just made that up. But <laughs> the, uh, anything. If, if the, I want the chocolate to be strong enough that my throat burns. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Got good. Deep, rich, and dark chocolate. Exactly. Cool. His name is Jay Horton. He owns Music Mentors on, on Main Street. Uh, give the exact address on Main it's Street. 104 North Main Street, Mansfield, Texas. 104 North Main Street. Jay Horton, we sure appreciate you coming in. Thanks for playing, and uh, thanks for being on About Mansfield. Very good. Thank you for having me. Coming up next week on About Mansfield, it's Mansfield News, Talk, and Information. And we will talk in studio with Mansfield City Manager Joe Smolinski. The show will be released on Wednesday, April 14th. Until then, don't forget to follow this podcast if you haven't already so you never miss an episode. It's free and it's easy. Just enter your email address on our website, aboutmansfield.com. We will never send you any spam. We promise. About Mansfield is recorded at Podcast Mansfield Recording Studio. Hosts Steve Casillo and Colleen Daniel. Reporters Stacy Main and Dennis Webb. Moment with the Mayor feature Michael Evans. School Board Recap Courtney Lackey Wilson. Home Improvement feature Terry Radswin. Cocktail of the Week feature Brian Certain. Sports Tommy Cummings. Post-production editing, mixing, and mastering, Steve Casillo. We thank you for listening on behalf of the entire news team. I'm Steve Casillo, and this is About Mansfield.